Thank you for downloading the Aging Matters podcast. To find out more about how Transitions Life Care is providing care and comfort for life's changing needs, visit transitionslifecare.org. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday evening to you. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett representing Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights. Nicole, how are you doing? Well, you know, it's it's uh, week two of homeschooling my kids, so uh, <laughs> I'm here I, and, you know, I'm getting grazed and it's not for not coloring my hair, it's just from homeschooling my kids yeah. for two weeks. <laughs> a lot of sympathy for you, Nicole. That's uh, that's a lot of work on your end. And uh, I think we have a new appreciation for our, our, uh, our teachers. We and, sure do. Uh, daycare workers. Um, boy, it's 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 been a, an eventful week. It's been a definitely, definitely an interesting time. And I think, yes, for sure, when teachers are asking for supplies or somebody to volunteer after this period of time, I think they're going to be inundated with volunteers because we want to say thank you. Absolutely. Well, let's get into the program tonight, which is uh, also going to be a little bit odd because, uh, you know, Nicole, we we booked this show and uh, about a month ago we thought, hey, we've got some topics here that are going to mesh really well and then things change. But uh, we're still going to have a very interesting conversation with Delvin Burton, who's the owner of Cycle Bar West Cary. And we're going to be talking a lot about senior fitness and how that's important. And, you know, we we were going to tell everyone, hey, head over to uh, Cycle Bar of West Cary. But um, yeah, yeah, unfortunately, the way uh, we're at right now, we we can't do that immediately. But uh, Delvin, we wanted to thank you so much for coming on the program this evening. Oh, no problem. You all are welcome. I appreciate you having me. Of course, of course. So, yeah, so we all know that uh, intuitively, and we keep hearing this in general, you know, throughout the course of our lives, how important exercise is to us and the fact that in the U.S. we are a rather uh, sedentary population and uh, the fact that we don't exercise very much definitely leads to a number of chronic conditions and even a lower life expectancy. So it would make a lot of sense that exercising for older adults would be incredibly important. That's that's correct. Totally agree, Uh, especially at this time. And you guys a moment ago you know, we're talking about sort of the current situation that we all are living in <laughs> across the country. Um, and I think at this point, uh, especially for our senior population, uh, the the need and um, being able to really focus on physical fitness uh, and staying fit in these times is, is even more important. You know, um, yeah, I, you know, I, w- I would totally agree with that. And especially because, you know, one of the things that we are really focusing on as healthcare workers is the fact that, you know, older adults are in that more vulnerable, high risk group for the COVID 19, AKA coronavirus. And so, a lot of encouragement for older adults to remain in their homes as much as possible. And uh, above all else, you know, r- could, uh, practice that social distancing that we keep hearing about. And so, you know, when you, when you have all of that put together, 
um, it really creates isolation for, for individuals, and that really can impact their mental health. And we all know that exercise really boosts an individual's mental health, not only all of us as, as listeners who are living a very different life right now, but in particular older adults who are already at risk for depression and isolation just because of age and limited mobility and limited access. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's really cool about exercise is the fact that, one, it helps the body release endorphins, right? Mm-hmm. And for that individual who may be feeling depressed and, you know, not necessarily having family members physically around them, it allows them to be able to feel um, essentially not only proud of what they've been able to accomplish and maybe a mini home workout, mm-hmm. uh, but then they also, you know, their body feels ultimately better about it, right? And those are the things that really have a cumulative effect for an individual. Um, so doing that, you know, maybe four times in the give over course of a seven-day period um, tends to help a mental uh, person's mental well-being and just overall state uh, of feeling how they are feeling about themselves and their particular situation. Uh, and then what's neat right now, uh, Nicole, is that we have uh, and this is sort of a, a new phase, I think, in what America has been able to do in response to uh, the COVID virus, is there are so many opportunities online uh, for people to take advantage of just a plethora of workouts. If you go online now, whether it's Instagram, whether it's Facebook, uh, and I know sometimes people talk about our senior population not necessarily being connected, but I think this is one of those opportunities where family members uh, can really reach out uh, to you know aunts, uncles, grandparents, uh, whatever it may be, that person who may be a little bit older in their life and really help them get connected to one of those particular platforms. And then on those platforms, you can't you can't bring them up nowadays without seeing some type of workout that's available. Um, being able to find that workout, whether it's a stretching workout, whether it's um, something that deals with walking on the treadmill or that indoor cycling workout, uh, if somebody happens to have a stationary bike at home. Uh, but there are a number of options that are now out there that individuals can kind of take advantage of because almost every physical fitness professional, uh, fit pros is what we call them for short, uh, has really taken their particular business and their outlook of what they provide to the public online and put it in a form that uh, people can continue to consume. So uh, many of those are free, uh, and I think they're great opportunities for you know, our senior population to be able to be connected, uh, but connected in a way that actually benefits them physically, uh, you know, in this particular day and age with what's going on. And especially when we don't know in some cases how long we'll be impacted by this. Uh, but we can't, I think, ultimately let our health and physical well-being uh, perish as a result of, of what's going on uh, in the larger society. That's exactly right. And an- another uh, fact about exercise is that it really does do some amazing things for the brain. And now I work pretty closely with the Alzheimer's Association and the Dementia Alliance of North Carolina. And really what research is showing is what's good for the heart is good for the brain. So obviously getting our bodies moving, increasing that oxygen flow can only help protect the brain from coming down with some of those other diseases that are traditionally associated with getting older, dementia, Alzheimer's, uh, things of that nature. Yeah, that was, um, and, you know, one of the things that I do as an owner of a, of a, of a place that really focuses on physical fitness, um, and when we start to look at the demographics that we try to serve, it's often, indoor cycling is often something that's tied to what younger people do. And, of course, people see the Peloton commercials and some of these commercials on television for other 
uh, indoor cycling uh, equipment, and they automatically think you have to be young and fit uh, to partake in that particular, you know, exercise. And, and for us, it's really trying to dispel that rumor and myth. Um, there was actually a, a study that was done in Europe. Uh, Lancet Neurology did it, and they worked with some Parkinson's patients. They had a group of doctors that worked with Parkinson's patients uh, in, in Europe. And one of the things that they decided to do was uh, provide them with the opportunity to do indoor cycling as their form of physical fitness. Um, it can be high intensity in terms of cardiovascular, but the nice part about indoor cycling is that it's low impact on the bones and joints. So a lot less uh, likelihood of people actually getting physically hurt, but the opportunity for people to be able to raise their heart rate in a controlled environment and in a way that ultimately helps them uh, physically. But what they found is it, you know, attributes to what you just said or connects to what you just said, which is that those individuals who uh, created a routine regimen of participating in these uh, indoor cycling classes uh, and taking advantage of those particular opportunities uh, ended up having, and I can't say that, of course, we, we can't say that Parkinson's was necessarily uh, for those individuals um, eradicated, uh, but it did uh, end up prolonging their life uh, and it did subside some of the symptoms uh, and stop the onset of some of the symptoms that they were experiencing, uh, which I think, you know, if you ultimately, um, if you're suffering from some of those diseases uh, that strike our uh, senior population readily, if you're able to prolong, you know, your life, if you're able to prolong a sense of well-being and what you uh, were used to uh, when you were deemed, you know, functional and able uh, and the quality of life that you were used to and that you want to hold on to, um, you know, dedicating some time, 30 to, to 45 minutes a day uh, to some form of, of physical fitness and exercise to help stimulate your brain as well as, you know, get your body uh, in shape, I, I think is, is um, probably a small price to pay physically uh, for being able to get, you know, hang on to life a little bit longer, which I think is really important. Well, Delvin, if uh, when things return back to normal and folks want to come by and check you out, what's the best way to find out information about uh, Cycle Bar of West Cary? Yeah. Um, so the best way, I mean, folks can definitely uh, jump on Google and they can Google Cycle Bar uh, West Cary. Um, so that's one way to get to us. Uh, but we're located at 5022 Arco Street. We're in the uh, Austin Town Center uh, in the West Cary area, which is really cool. We're right near Whole Foods. Um, you know, in one of the lifestyle shopping centers uh, that's right there off of Route 55. Uh, but the best way to reach us if they have questions and want to know more uh, is really via our email address. We have a team of individuals who are always uh, promptly responding to email inquiries. Uh, so that westcare at cyclebar.com email address, which I think is really easy for folks to remember, uh, is a great way to reach out to us and find out you know, what we have available. And we have everything from individuals who want to cycle once a week, uh, twice a week. Um, we have both memberships as well as just general packages. If somebody wants to come in and, you know, buy a group of rides that they use over the course of a period of time. So we try to really make our, um, our service accessible to individuals, uh, regardless of what their sort of income range is. Uh, if they do have, you know, some resources that they want to devote uh, to their health and well-being, and they've chosen indoor cycling as a way to be able to do that. Uh, we really work with people to make sure that we're able to accommodate them. Um, for us, you know, and my, my wife and I got into this business really uh, as an opportunity to what we, what we call create win-win situations. We want to see people get healthy uh, and fit. Uh, yes, we also, of course, want to be able to derive 
uh, revenue as a business. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's one where uh, as people help us with our business, we also help them with their livelihood, uh, which, I, I, as I said, I call it a win-win situation. So, um, you know, we're hoping to continue to serve the community of West Care, really looking forward to getting the studio back open. My instructors uh, are biting at the bit. <laughs> was talking with them last night. Uh, so they're really excited about the opportunity. Sure. Uh, we're going to be doing some online classes here uh, over the course of the next week, four to five times a week. We'll be producing our own videos and using some of the platforms that I mentioned, Facebook Live, Instagram, um, even some Zoom workouts to, to make sure that we continue to serve, you know, our membership and the audience that we've already cultivated. Um, so we, you know, invite people to look for us online and, and partic- uh, participate. And some of the workouts that we'll be producing ourselves. That's fantastic. Delvin Burton, owner of Cycle Bar West Cary. That email again, westcary at cyclebar.com. A quick break and back with more. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Cleggett from Transitions Guiding Lights. Here's your host, Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on News Radio 680 WPTF. You can find more about Transitions Life Care at transitionslifecare.org. Transitions Life Care. Org. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. And Nicole, we're going to uh, shift our focus here because, um, you know, things are, are still changing, but a lot of things are still remaining in place. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's important that our audience hears that. And we're going to be talking about end of life care and why that area of work will never cease. And to do that, we've brought in Nikki Farrell. She's the regional manager of business development with Heartland Hospice. Nikki, thank you so much for coming on the show this evening. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, you know, this is just an incredibly interesting interesting time, I guess I'll put it, in, in the world of healthcare. While um, a lot of the uh, area is um, either working from home or um, they have a stay-at-home order, I th- things get really, really confusing for folks that are accessing care out there uh, amid the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, especially with individuals receiving community-based care, care such as home health or hospice, uh, infusion services, uh, private duty in-home care. And so folks are, I know, sort of clamoring and wondering, my gosh, I have this place, this care place for my mom in this area. Will the workers uh, continue to be able to uh, go out and see my mom? And Overall, the resounding answer is yes. I want to reassure everybody listening today that healthcare workers are considered uh, by the uh, President of the United States as well as the Governor of North Carolina as essential workers during a time of a, a global and national pandemic. So, while some of the uh, sort of protocol may be changing or some of the way certain visits are made may be changing, I want to give everybody the reassurance that these types of workers are considered essential. But if you do have very specific questions about the care that your loved one may be receiving, I do encourage you to contact the individual organization that you are working with as there may be slight different nuances from organization to organization. And I'm sure uh, that is the case for you all as well. 
Absolutely. It's a time that we all have to come together and serve. It's what we were called to do. It's what we were meant to do. Um, our community really needs us now more than ever. Um, so thank you for that, Nicole. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you sort of have a, an interesting a quote to lead off today's show, which is, our work will, meet, will never be done. And so I'm kind of wondering, um, you know, what exactly do you mean by that? Now, obviously, um, our former co-host of this show once said, well, we were all born with a terminal disease, which is true. Nobody's getting out of here alive. Uh, but what exactly did you mean by your quote? Absolutely. Um, What we do know is that 52% of Medicare-eligible patients never received the gift of hospice. So they're dying in our ICUs, our emergency departments, you know, on the floors of hospitals. And, you know, we can only change that number one patient at a time. Um, But, I mean, that leaves 48% of people um, receiving the benefits the benefit that they paid into, um, but we're still, um, we have a lot of work to do um, as far as helping people access their hospice benefits. It's really interesting, interesting times. You know, I had the opportunity to speak with a a geriatrician who's actually on the front lines of this pandemic in New York City right now, somebody that I've known for many, many, many years. And and she was talking to me about how, you know, sometimes it's really hard to get people to have these types of conversations about end of life. But for whatever reason, during this time right now, uh, when individuals in in the state of New York are, are you know, sort of that vulnerable population and um, potentially not really doing that well when they do contract the virus. You know, she said the conversations have actually been a lot easier when people were actually faced with kind of making a decision about end of life wishes. When they do contract the disease, it sort of became clear to them. But when we're trying to have some of these sort of global conversations earlier, for some reason, we just seem to not want to do it. Absolutely. You know, and I think it starts with education and advocacy. I always tell people, all of us are advocates. You know, we can advocate for our neighbor, our loved one, um, you know, our patients, but we can never stop advocating. Um, And quite honestly, I think we have to do a better job educating our community, our healthcare workers. And I think it really starts with um, our physicians, you know, how do we reach these patients earlier? How do we have those conversations earlier? I'm really happy to see that more people are talking about end-of-life care, especially in the situation that we're in. I always say we, we have one chance to get it right, you know, a chance to be born, a chance to die, and there's no do-overs. So we have to talk about the reality of what we're facing um, and, and try to reach these patients sooner rather than later. You know, how do we care for them before it's a crisis, before they're in the hospital? Um, So it's, again, our work will never be done. And I just think we have to keep communicating. We have to keep educating and we have to keep advocating. You know, Nikki, I really like how you put the term giving people the gift of hospice. And I will say, hands down, there have been, I can't even think of you know, three people that I've ever encountered that have ever had a loved one placed on hospice and regretted it. 
if, if it's okay with you, could we talk a little bit about, you know, what exactly this gift looks like, especially if we have the gift of time? All too often, family members feel like they only can make the decision about a hospice admission when they're in the literal last days or hours of life. But the reality of this is, is that hospice is a gift that can be given to a family six months out. Yes. And, you know, I think we are seeing the numbers go up a little bit as far as length of stay and how long people are on hospice. I think the last number I saw was 77 days. um, And that is going up. The median is 24 days, though, um, when they could really have this gift, as you say, Nicole, for for six months. You know, it's a benefit they paid into. Um, Again, it starts with the conversation earlier But um, most of our families, when we send out surveys and we get our surveys back, the families say, I wish I'd have had the skip sooner. You know, I wish I'd have known about it. I wish my physician had talked to me about it. And so um, that gift allows people to die wherever they want to die. We find that most people want to remain at home, surrounded by their loved ones, comfortable um, and it gives them that gift. Hospice is the most comprehensive type of health care you can receive, and it is the highest level of care post-acute uh, that, that our patients and families can receive. I think that gift looks very different for different families, but when I think of hospice, I think of hope, dignity. You know, we're here to take care of that family as much as we are the patient. There's some studies out there that actually say that people live longer with hospice than without. On average, it's about a month longer, but sometimes that gift might be getting someone to a graduation, a wedding, you know, getting your affairs in order. So I think, you know, it's really important that we always keep advocating to have those conversations Um, you know, that we continue to educate and advocate, as I mentioned earlier, because the gift is there. We just have to help people access it. You know, and I think, you know, and and correct me if I'm wrong, perhaps you have a family like this, but there are no perfect families. (laughs) And families families are messy and relationships are messy. And I think from what I've seen over the years that one of the greatest gifts that hospice often provides is really being that bridge and helping people have closure and have some of those sometimes very tender and emotional discussions so that an individual can truly rest in peace and families feel like perhaps some of the things that they've never said or some of those issues that have never been resolved can get resolved. And sometimes it's just a matter of, you know, having somebody there at the bedside that really can foster that conversation and and really help those individuals sort of work through some of those things because it's awfully hard to reconcile with a person after they've passed away. And so a lot of times I've really seen the gift of hospice has even been in insofar as, you know, yes, making sure a person isn't in pain, but also making sure they're not in emotional pain as well. Absolutely. You know, I've been in hospice now for 17 years, um, which is hard to believe. And uh, the stories are remarkable. You know, it's not it's not always about the physical. Um, more times than not, it is about the emotional. Uh, we try, um, as a hospice industry in general, to 
to approach every patient and family by asking, what is most important to you today? You know, not tomorrow, not next week, but today, what is most important to you? And if we ask, they'll tell us. And a lot of times it's reconnecting with a family member or, um, you know, them sharing some pain and suffering that they're having emotionally. So um, we just have to ask the question and they'll tell us. We're having a fascinating conversation with Nikki Farrell. She's the Regional Manager of Business Development with Heartland Hospice, and we're going to continue this conversation right after this break. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. With your hosts, Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters. Care and comfort that surrounds you. A service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care. I'm Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. Our guest with us on the line is Nikki Farrell. She is Regional Manager of Business Development with Heartland Hospice. And we're having a great conversation with her, Nicole. And, you know, Nicole, we mentioned Heartland Hospice. And I still think there's... uh, there's that fear when we say that word hospice of what exactly that means and uh, who it's for. Who it's for? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you know there there are so many sort of myths out there, and I, and I think one of the biggest ones that we're still kind of up against is, is that you know hospice is only for cancer patients, and and the reality of it is is that's just not true. You are exactly right. I think we, um, as an industry even, have always associated hospice with cancer patients. Um, But quite honestly, we have more cardiac patients, dementia, Alzheimer's patients um, than we even do cancer many times. And so it's it's changing that thought process. Again, educating um, the industry, our patients, our families. On, on who hospice is for, um, because Medicare says hospice is for any patient that is eligible for the care if the disease took its normal course that the prognosis could be six months or less. So it's, it's really about prognosis and not diagnosis, yes, if that ma'am. makes sense. Yes, that, that is a perfect way of, of explaining it. And, you know, I think we still have some hesitation out there. It's getting better. Uh, but, you know, physicians, they're really there to cure people, make them feel better, make them do better. And I think it's really hard for physicians to have a conversation when they have to tell a person that they have six months or less. And I think sometimes that is where the hesitation lies in the healthcare side because it almost feels like a personal failure, right? Like if my job was to fix your car and then you came to me and brought your car and I spent all this time and money and energy and fixing your car and then eventually I had to say, you know what, Nikki, we're just going to have to consider that car a wash. I'm sorry. I would feel like a failure, like I, wasn't, I didn't do my job. So you can only imagine when it's humans caring for humans that it would be um, an even more difficult conversation to have. Absolutely. In fact, when you think about the training our physicians have, um, 100% of physicians learn how to deliver a baby, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the last statistics that I saw was, one to two percent actually go through palliative and end of life training. Um, you know, it might be a semester or a course. I think it's getting a lot better. Yes. But I had a physician tell me one time, you know, we're taught to 
to cure, to treat. Um, we don't always know how to help people um, die with dignity and with hope and to have those those difficult conversations because it's just not what they're taught to do. They're taught to save lives. So I do think it makes it very, very difficult. And, you know, it's amazing. You know, we are incredibly resource-rich, densely speaking, right here in the Research Triangle Park area as far as, you know, our healthcare institutions. We have two world-renowned academic medical health institutions. And so when you're living in, in a world, our little bubble of the Research Triangle Park area with these academic health institutions, the other issue that families are often facing, and I've dealt with this personally with um, an extended family member of mine, is there always seems to be another thing you can do or try. And it, it just never seems like there. It, it's clear for a lot of people, well, you know, I have to try this next thing because there, there's, a, there's another clinical trial, there's another experimental procedure, there's another experimental drug. And it's really hard for family members to really get off of that medical merry-go-round, just sort of step off and look at the big picture and really look at that holistic view of, well, what will life look like? six months from now. And I'll have to give, you know, my husband some kudos when he was working with his dad at end of life. One of the doctors came into him and said, you know, I can give you six more months if we do, you know, in this particular situation, if we do all this chemo and all this radiation and and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, my husband was, you know, just shaking his head, looking at his dad and his dad was shaking his head. Yeah, 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 that sounds good. And then my husband had the wherewithal, not in healthcare at all, to to say, well, what does that life look like for my dad? Is is he going to be able to, you know, do woodworking like he enjoys to do? Is he going to be able to go out on a walk and see his mom? And, you know, are all those things going to be, you know, normal for him? Or is it going to look more like he's going to be laying in his bed sick? And the doctor looked at him and said, well, it's going to look more like he's going to be laying in his bed sick. And so, you know, kind of switching that conversation around helped them both kind of have that very real discussion of, well, what do you want? You know, you may get an extra six months like this, or would you rather an extra one or two months like that? Right. I mean, I think it comes down just as, as you said, Nicole, it's quality versus quantity, mm-hmm. right? How um, do our loved ones want to live their last days, months, weeks? What does that look and like? And that's different for like, everybody, not to judge. To mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, quite honestly, none of us are promised tomorrow, you know, I always say, I mean, today could be the last day. Are we living each day to our fullest um, because we're not promised tomorrow? And I think we have to look at that at end of life, too. Um, sometimes, you know, we get the prognosis right, and sometimes we don't. And we just have to look at quality versus quantity. How do you want to live your last days, weeks, and months? And then we have to support our patients and families that they have uh, the days that they want. And hospice isn't about giving up. And I, and I think that's really another big myth is, you know, well, if I put mom on hospice, it's going to hasten her death, and that means we're all giving up. And it, it really doesn't. And, and, and frankly, you know, just because you sign on for hospice doesn't mean in a week if you changed your mind you can't get off. It's not something that's written in cement, Correct. Absolutely. We have so many families that really struggle with that. Um, They almost have, um, 
they almost start the grief process even before their loved one dies sometimes because they feel like because they have elected hospice that they're giving up hope. So we work really hard as a hospice industry just to remind them that really they're giving their loved one a gift. They're bringing hope to their loved one, to their family versus taking it away. Uh, I had mentioned the statistics earlier. I mean, people actually live longer with it than without it. Um, so we are here to to really live each day to the fullest and walk that journey with them because we don't know how long we have. But all we can do is focus on quality, dignity, hope, and, and really make sure that our families understand that we're not there to take that away. So if you have a family member that's sort of on board with the idea of bringing hospice in, and then you have another family member that feels like, you know, this really isn't a good idea. What are some ways that folks can sort of have that conversation and sort of air out thoughts and feelings to for the benefit of that individual? Because sometimes individuals, because of a lack of adva- advanced care planning and a lack of, in, uh, of advanced directives, haven't really discussed what their desires are and what their wishes are for the future. And so a lot of families are sort of put in this position of making these decisions for loved ones. How would you recommend a family member kind of go about having that conversation among siblings or, you know, a spouse and the children, that thing, things like that. Yeah, you, you bring up a really good point. Um, what I have found over the years is it's it's typically not the patient that refuses, right? It's a family member or maybe the family's just not on board. I think it's really important that we have um, transparent conversations, that we get families together. And again, we ask each family member, what is most important to you? for your loved one. What does that look like? Um, And important that we reassure them they don't have to be ready for hospice. Who would be ready? We're never ready for that. But are they eligible? You know, is your loved one eligible for the benefit that they have paid into their whole life? And if they're eligible, how do we customize the care to meet the need? And so I think we really have to dig deep and find out, you know, what does that look like? What is the reality of a perfect day for their loved one and how and where do we fit into that picture? Um, because most of the time when we ask them, you know, what is it that you want for your dad, your mom, your aunt, your uncle, you know, what does that look like? They'll say, I want them to be comfortable. I want them to be at home, surrounded by their loved one. I want... Um, healthcare workers to be able to come in and take care of them. They will paint the picture of what hospice really is. Um, it's just that word. If we could change the word, I think um, <laughs> they would be more receptive. For sure. Yeah, it's an important concept that uh, we all should take some time to think about. Nikki Farrell, Regional Manager of Business Development with Heartland Hospice. Nikki, if uh, folks want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, I will give you our number to our admissions department, um, 24-7 access to that number. It is 919-981-6238. That's 919-981-6238. Nikki, thank you so much for spending some time with us this evening. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. A quick break and back with more. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on News Radio 680 WPTF. 
This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett and uh, Nicole, I guess we can't really say it enough, but things have just changed so much uh, in the landscape of our, our daily lives with COVID-19. And, um, you know, Nicole, I think it's just more important than ever for us to maintain mental health and, and mm-hmm. make sure that we're taking care of ourselves. Well, this is incredibly hard for people. You know, human beings are social animals. I mean, as much as we all say, well, I'm an introvert or I'm an extrovert or whatever, but any period of isolation is just really incredibly hard on it, mental health. And then with the fact that there's just so much out of our control and then our all of our routines have been completely flipped on their ears, you know, we have kids home and we're not to, or kids who are in daycare and at home or school or, you know, they aging loved ones. We're all concerned about those folks and the number of people, you know, applying for unemployment in this state is just exploding. And so there's just so much going on and it can be just totally incredibly overwhelming. And so um, it's just incredibly important to really do some things for yourself to really help you maintain that sense of control. And I'll, I, I laugh when I say this, but just even a simple thing of try to create a routine for yourself at home. You know, whether it's just, you know, wake up in the morning, make your bed, you know, actually get out of your pajamas. You know, th- there's a sort of a joke going on, uh, around online about, well, this is, you know, bra sales are going down because no women are even putting on a bra. <laughs> now, you know, I'm here in the studio. I do have a bra on. <laughs> But, you know, these are these are all things, you know, we have to try to remain some sense of normalcy, you know, try not to sit there and binge watch TV 12 hours a day, get outside and take a walk. We have a beautiful weekend this weekend and, you know, really try to get outside and spend some time in nature. Um, and, And really, one thing that I think is it's hard not to do because we all have our devices literally in our hands is take a break from the media. Now, not our show, <laughs> just kidding, <laughs> but, um, yeah, but take a break from watching, from reading, from listening to the news stories, including social media. I mean, if I look at my news feed on Facebook, every other post is about something to do with COVID-19 and, and it just, sometimes you just need to get away from it and just turn it off. Even if you need to turn it off for, you know, 12 hours, just to give yourself that mental break. Yeah, I think that's wonderful, a wonderful idea, Nicole, because, you know, we've, we've sort of gone through these waves where the 24-hour news cycle was uh, just pumping stuff out literally minute by minute. Mm-hmm. And, and going uh, live every second. Yeah, yeah. And uh, at some point, you sort of get acclimated to that, and you keep thinking, well, if I don't check, I'm going to miss something. And that's that's not the case. You know, you can take a break, and especially if it's causing you more anxiety than keeping mm-hmm. you informed, then, yeah, it's, it's definitely time to take a break. But, um, Nicole, I think you're you're exactly right about the mental health aspect. And I know a a lot of listeners and uh, people here at WPTF and Curtis Media Group have been talking to me about, well, you know, they've got loved ones who are uh, far away and they're worried about Mm -hmm. them and making sure that they're not too isolated. But uh, again, it's, it's not the time to go visit them. But hey, you can pick up the phone and call. You mm-hmm. can FaceTime, uh, video chat, whatever. There, there's plenty of opportunities there. 
And, you know, another way to reduce your stress and stress in others is really just checking the facts. You know, not every website, not everybody's opinion out there, opinions are opinions, and opinions aren't necessarily rooted in fact. But going to, like, the CDC website or the North Carolina Department of Human Services website to really actually understand, you know, number one, are you in the at-risk group? Okay, if yes, what does that mean? And what do I need to do about it? And if you're not, what does that mean? And what do I need to do about it? And really just trying to just focus on the things that we actually have that are known. Um, and, and unfortunately, and, and you know, all of our leaders in this country and in this state are, are grappling with kind of how to handle this. And so it is sort of changing day by day with restrictions and things of that nature. But just really trying to just stick to just trying to figure out exactly what the facts are and then how it actually impacts you. You know, I, I often, my husband and I sometimes get into conversations about, you know, global issues or nationwide issues. And sometimes just the thought of even trying to contemplate those things are incredibly overwhelming. And so brought into every single one of our living rooms now is this COVID-19 virus. And so I'm just trying to focus on every day, trying to do the next right thing and trying to do something that I feel will help somebody else. And it could be something like, you know, sewing those masks that you see a lot of the hospital systems asking for, donating food, you know, volunteering for Meals on Wheels to make some deliveries, even just calling on or calling up some of my older adult friends that I don't often talk to just to see how they're doing. Um, and I will say, you know, the, the shortage of supplies really is an issue. Um, for example, Transitions Life Care, who continues to send their clinicians out into the community, their nurses, their their physicians, their, their aides, um, you know, there is just a general shortage of what's known as personal protective equipment out there. And um, they, they're actually calling on organizations or individuals who may have things like surgical masks, isolation gowns, goggles, gloves, um, you know, some of those alcohol wipes or hand sanitizer. If folks have those types of things in mass at their homes, you know, if you want to donate some of those things, you certainly can do that by emailing PPE supplies at transitionslifecare.org. That's PPE supplies at transitionslifecare.org, and they will take do- donations in any quantity because of sort of the, the reaction or sometimes the overreaction of some people in, in our country, some of these supplies are running low. So we just want to make sure that we continue to have an ample supply to care for the thousands of folks that we serve in the community too. Yeah, that's great advice. And I think just picking one small thing that you can do to help really goes a long way. It sometimes, makes you feel good. It boosts yeah, yourself a little bit. Absolutely. And uh, sometimes we may be overwhelmed thinking, well, I, I want to do these this list of 18 things. Well, no, just start with one thing. Yep. Get the ball rolling there. Start small. And, and even that will make a big impact. And that was, that email address, again, PPE Supplies at transitionslifecare.org, PPE supplies at transitionslifecare.org. Nicole, before we head out, I want to just give you a chance to let everyone know that uh, uh, Transitions Guiding Lights is still going strong and that if people still need that as a resource, it is completely available to them. We sure are. We are considered one of those essential healthcare organizations. So regardless of what's going on all around us and the different types of businesses that need to close, Transitions Life Care will be here to serve. All of our staff are working and connecting uh, family members to any resources that they need. We can provide any amount of education and support. And we are a free service uh, for the community. 
So all folks have to do is just give us a call at 919-371-2062, or they can certainly go to our website at guidinglightsnc.org and connect with us there. But we are still uh, operating, and if folks are in need of providing any type of care for their loved one and are needing um, us to connect them with a service provider, we can certainly do that. And we also have a whole host of online resources available to include a listing of all of these shows that can help educate folks on how to care for their loved one. Because despite what's going on with this virus, loved ones are still needing care, issues are still coming up. So we still have the normal stuff of life that's going on while we're all trying to work with COVID-19. Yeah, it's a, a lot to juggle. That website again, guidinglightsnc.org is the best way to get a hold of them. We are out of time for today. I want to thank our guests for joining us by the phone this evening. Uh, we really appreciate them accommodating our accommodating our social distancing that we're practicing here at WPTF. We are out of time for today, but you can find more information about the show and find replays and past episodes of Aging Matters at WPTF.com. Click on the podcast button. There you'll find Aging Matters, and you can view the full archive of episodes there. On behalf of Nicole Cleggett, I'm Jason Kong, thanking you for listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on News Radio. 680 WPTF. Have a great night. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.